Um, to ill-equipped history. I have just killed Emily. A one, a two, a three. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Sorry, are you the count? <laughs> I was trying to be spooky. Well, I'm quaking in my boots. <laughs> As you can tell, we're off to a great start. I told Emily I was going to try to do a spooky voice. And as soon as I started talking, she immediately started laughing. <laughs> I cannot contain myself. I'm sorry. This is a podcast where two very ill-equipped best friends talk about events in history. I am Morgan, your host for this spooky evening. I'm Emily. <laughs> I'm just here. <laughs> And it's finally October! Spooky season! Spooky, 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 spooky. spooky. I've already got my Halloween costume. Oh, I do too. Oh my god. It's it's on my it's on its way. I ordered it from Amazon. I'm so excited. Kyle and I are doing couples costumes this year. Oh my god. He's going to be Luigi and I'm going to be Princess Daisy. I love that. I love that for you because that was always my favorite one. Yes. We were playing Mario Kart. Yes. And I was always Peach when we played Super Smash Bros. Me too. Because, uh, listen, Peach is low-key badass. She is. I can, I, it's her and Kirby, I main. Super oh, Smash Brothers. Honestly, the trick is, is to just float above everyone and then, and then swoop down when everyone's got like two lives left and then just kill them all. Yeah. Listen. And Daisy was my favorite in Mario Kart, so we're the same person. Yes. I liked um I liked Daisy because I was not I'm not blonde. I liked the brown hair. I like that she's yellow. <laughs> Yellow's my favorite yellow color. Dress. I like the brown hair. <laughs> and I was like so against pink as a kid, so I was a tomboy. <laughs> Very tomboy. Now I'm like a weird in between somewhere. You're you're Emily. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wearing a crop top and a backwards hat right now, so I don't know what's styling. happening. You're styling. I just really wanted to cover my bangs up. <laughs> okay. Anyway. 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 So we've got some very spooky content coming your way this October. We've got stories of haunted places and spooky people. It's a nice lineup, guys, and you might get some, like, personal stories from us. Yeah. Well, from Emily, because I don't really... I have, like one sort of ghost story how do i not know this i've told you before what is it it's at my grandparents house oh yep i know never yeah. mind yeah she knows Forgive it it's me. like it's like one sentence it's not really that scary or spooky but it's interesting and that's Aww. the thing about it is that every case everything is unique in the paranormal world and i love it so much because it's unexplained it's like yeah i I used to listen to the, like, true crime and stuff like that, but I can't anymore because it stresses me out too bad because I have kids. Mm -hmm. um, all I just think about is if my kids know. Mm -hmm. So, but that can be explained. Yeah. That is a person with an issue. Mm -hmm. um, the paranormal, it's like, ooh, is it a time slip? Is it, like, uh, is it a demon? Is it a ghost? What is a ghost? Like, it mm -hmm. questions. I love it. And there's no answers ever. Yeah, there's not going to be a really a lot of, really a lot of. I don't know why the. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> Y'all, I've had, I've, we're batch recording and I've been hanging out with Emily all weekend and my vocabulary doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I can tell you exactly what it is. It's the copious amounts of alcohol we've consumed this weekend. <laughs> that, that doesn't help either. I've had a lot of water today. I'm very proud of myself. We did take a nap in the pool though. Oh yeah. I've, I've taken like four naps today. <laughs> Just like a couple naps in the pool and up on the porch. Yeah. I almost fell asleep when I was double, double floating it. So <laughs> we're gonna kill it today, guys. But anyway, I've got a very spooky story, and I'm sure almost everyone has. Maybe you haven't heard of this couple specifically, but you do know their work because they're they are one of the most famous couples, spooky couples in pop culture history. Their works have inspired a ton of movies, which we'll go into a little bit later. But yeah, they're they're pretty famous or infamous, depending on your belief in the paranormal. Today, we are talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren, paranormal investigator couple extraordinaire. So before we get into our skit, I do want to have a disclaimer, because um, I don't want to plagiarize. I did take the scene that we're about to review from a book I read about their work, which I'll, I'll talk about the book after the skit. But just so you know, I it's not directly quoted. Things I've changed into my own words, but the actual scene itself I got from this book. You ready to jump into it? Yes. Okay, let's do it. The year is 1978. Ed Warren is just settling in after a busy day of sightseeing and lectures while visiting the United Kingdom. Just as he's adjusting, he gets a phone call. Hello? Hello. Is this Ed Warren, paranormal investigator? Why, yes. How may I help you? Oh, please, you've got to help us. It's targeting my children. Your children? What's targeting your children? A, a, a presence of some kind. Please, you have to help us. Ed and his wife Lorraine travel to the foster household. They settle down for an interview with the family. Okay, why don't we discuss what's happening and why? Well, you see, our daughter Meg has always had an interest in the occult. We thought we'd humor her and we bought her a book on how to summon demons. Okay, sure. Then what happened? Well... I played around with it for a while, but nothing happened. Then a few weeks ago, it started. What started? The two oldest children, Joel and Meg, looked at each other before continuing on. Mom and Dad were out for the night, so it was just the three of us. I heard the radio and went to go turn it off, and I heard water running upstairs. All of the faucets were on. The radio started up again, and as soon as I got downstairs, I could hear the water again. I asked my brother and sister if they were up to anything, but they said no, they weren't. Then, we could hear someone walking downstairs, like they were stomping. We all ran into Joel's room, and we hid until Mom and Dad came home. Ed looks at the children. It happened again. Last night, Mom, Dad, and our youngest sister were out. I could hear someone tuning the radio, and they didn't stop when I told them to. 
Our dog was growling at something, which is crazy because he's deaf. I ran upstairs to my room and then I could hear stomping all downstairs. Me too. I even asked if Joel could hear it and he told me to shut up. Anyway, I was so scared, I closed my eyes so I couldn't see anything. I knew there was something in there with me. All of a sudden, I could feel a man trying to unclench my fist. He couldn't do it and then he tried to yank me out of bed. I was so terrified, I ran as fast as I could into Joel's room. We were so scared. Meg wanted to call the police, but what could they do? Plus, we'd have to go out into the hallway to get to the phone, where the thing was. What happened then? Well, we agreed we needed to get out of the house as fast as possible, but I put on some of Joel's clothes. I was not about to go back into my room. We counted to three, and we ran out of the house as fast as we could. I don't think I've ever run so fast in my life. When we ran outside, there were so many dogs surrounding our house. When they saw us, they started running full speed backwards and the birds were everywhere. They were absolutely screaming at us. Were they all on the left side? Yeah, how did you know? Just continue, please. Well, we realized the thing was behind us. It was chasing us. We ran and ran and we saw the street light. We had to get to it or the thing would kill us. It was taking our air. We made it to the street light, but it started to dim. We knew we had to make it to town and we ran. We somehow ran faster than we ever did before. I thought my legs were going to fall off. We didn't stop until the other cars drove between us and the thing. We knew it wouldn't hurt us with other people around. Oh my god. Spooky, huh? Spooky. It's very spooky. So that scene, are you okay? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very scary. So I got that scene. There was a book I read. I was so just to start off with, I there's not a lot of information about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Like there's some out there about their personal lives, but not as much detail as what we are used to finding in our research on this podcast. I was trying to find books like biographies about them because they're extremely famous. So and the only one I could really find, the title is Um, The book is called The Demonologist, The Extraordinary Career of Ed and Lorraine Warren by Gerard Brittle, and it was written in 1970. So it only has like a couple of their first ones in it. So the case that I we just went over in our skit, I will talk about in our episode. It's about the Foster family in the United Kingdom. I think it was 1972 or 1970. No, it was 1978. I said that in the skit. <laughs> that was directly pulled from it. It wasn't quoted. It was in my own words. But mm-hmm. so in this episode today, there's, again, not a whole lot about who they were. So I'm going to be talking about some of their really big cases that I could find. I'm not covering every case. Um They've covered a lot, which I'll get into. They're very famous. Very famous. In the paranormal world. Yes, yes. If you are interested in any kind of spooky anything, you know who Ed and Lorraine Warren are. Mm -hmm. 
Let's get started. Yeah. So again, most of my research comes from Ed and Lorraine's personal experiences, written works. They have actually written a ton of books about their investigations. Really? But there's not a whole lot of evidence to corroborate the events that happened. So they say it happened, but even people who lived it or experienced it have come out and say this isn't exactly what happened or you know and there's one case where a lawyer and the family attorney said that they made it up you know there's a lot of conflicting things and then other people say no I saw trauma from this event I wonder if things just get um what's the word like confused or Not, not confused but made to be bigger than yeah exaggerated exaggerated and it seems like most of the people who continue to say i experienced a lot of trauma from this were children at the time so there's that yeah so i am reporting the events as i find them okay i myself i'm a pretty healthy skeptic when it comes to some of these things i i'm interested in the paranormal I guess to an extent I do believe in it Mm -hmm. because I think there are things that we just can't explain. Of course. But I try to keep a very healthy, you know, open mind. Definitely try to debunk things. Yes. First, I'm in the same boat where I am somewhere in between where I believe some of the things are unexplainable. Mm -hmm. They are paranormal. Some of it is just weird things happening in the world and some things can be explained by you know science or Mm -hmm. you know our mind is a very powerful thing and it's very easy to believe what our mind tells us Mm -hmm. and it can play tricks on us and those tricks can be very convincing i mean there's people every day that live in their own complete realities that are not this reality so you know if you believe in this stuff or you don't believe in this stuff that's fine welcome all are welcome here all are welcome so if you don't believe in this stuff, this is just some scary stories. And if you do believe in this stuff, this will be a really nice, interesting history episode for you. But and I also do want to say that the Warrens have faced criticism for exaggerating paranormal activity, exploiting vulnerable families mm-hmm. and creating hoaxes. So but I do want to say, I think I mentioned it later, they never took money okay. for the investigations. None of the families that they worked with ever had to pay them for their services. That's wonderful. So maybe not financially exploiting, but maybe for, like, fame. They would usually bring in reporters, release things to the media, you know, kind of get people talking well, and about they, it. Well, you said they they wrote a bunch of books about their things. And when that is inadvertently getting money right through the... Um, families Mm -hmm. and anytime that you have people that are making money from the things that they're when it comes to things like this Mm -hmm. you do have to take everything with a grain of salt because it's like are you doing this for the money or are you doing it or are you helping these people out of the kindness of your heart or are you you just looking for a paycheck exactly exactly and so and that's another kind of criticism they faced but that doesn't mean that they still don't know what they're talking about or don't have experience exactly or expertise in these things exactly okay so um ed warren uh he was born september 26 1926 in uh i think it was bridgeport connecticut i thought i looked at everything up and in my brain i wrote it down and in real life i did not but i believe it's bridgeport connecticut okay from his early years he knew there was something else going on 
that other people couldn't or wouldn't acknowledge or perceive. Uh, he tells a story about he how he grew up in a haunted house, and when he was four years old, he saw the ghost of his landlady come out of his closet. Don't like that. Nope. Nope. You he stay in the here. closet, landlady. She was really nice, but he was like, that's not cool. <laughs> when Buddy. he was four years old. he His family was very Catholic, and so he went to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. While in school, he started having some recurring dreams of a nun. And when he finally told his father about it, he described the nun to his father. And he was like, that's my sister who Edward had or Ed had never met. She had passed away before he was born. So that's just that's cool. And it's really all about his early life that I could find. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing else. So now we're going to talk about Lorraine. She was born Lorraine Morin, January 31st. First, 1927. They were both born in Bridgeport. She grew up three blocks away from Ed. Wow. Very small community. She was a Morin? Morin. Morin. Lorraine Morin. So she went from a Morin to a Warren? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) She also attended Catholic school, and from very early on, she knew she was different. She says she's a clairvoyant, and she um, works as a light trance medium as well. Okay. So she was describing her first real experience with, like, her gift of sight, I guess you would call it. She was planting a tree when she was, like, 11 or 12 years old at her Catholic school for Arbor Day. And as she was planting it, she could see the tree just rapidly grow in front of her into, like, a full tree. And she was looking up at it, and one of the nuns was like, what are you looking at? And she was like, I'm looking at the tree. But to them, she was looking at the sky because it was still, like, a little young tree yeah and they're like stop that (laughs) you know they're like don't do that um (laughs) you've got the devil in you (laughs) yeah but and she believed she was witnessing the future and apparently her her clairvoyant powers were evaluated at ucla later um the person who evaluated her was an actress turned psych a parapsychologist okay but she was a researcher at ucla And this researcher said that her clairvoyant powers were extraordinary. So, again, take with that what you will. Okay. This was a researcher at a university. That has some merit to it. Definitely. So, and that's really it about their early years. Um, I've scoured the internet. Can't really find a lot. So, Ed and Lorraine met in their teenage years. Ed Lorraine... Lorraine was 16 and Ed was 17 because okay. they're less than a year apart. Ed, she, he goes off to fight in World War II. He was in the Navy. He returns in 1945. They got married. And then they have their only child, Judy, soon after. Okay. That's their young married life. <laughs> That's all I could find. Welcome, um, Judy. Yeah. So at one point, Ed, I, I couldn't find when this happened, but he attended art school in New Haven. Mm-hmm. Um, and... One thing I noticed, they just seem like kind of free spirits. They just are like, let's just do things that we want to do. So what they started doing, you know, Ed went to art school. He wanted to paint haunted houses. So him and Lorraine would like find haunted houses like in newspapers and stuff. They would call the owners and be like, hey, is this a real haunted house? They would interview the owners and then they would go check out the house and kind of investigate it. And if they were like, this is a real haunted house, Ed would paint it and then sell his paintings. And that was their living. He sold paintings of haunted houses. (laughs) Why did my dumbass DIY brain 
goes straight to, I thought he was painting the interior walls <laughs> of these haunted houses. I'm like, are you restoring them for the ghosts? No, he painted pictures of <laughs> Oh, God bless it. I'm so stupid. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was like, just imagining, like, yeah, this is a haunted house. I'm doing this for you, ghosts. And just, <laughs> just painting. Painting. The interior. Nice shade of yellow i guess that's really funny that's really really funny oh but that's funny that he would that was what they did like lorraine didn't work like she was just taking care of judy so they just kind of went around the country and like I, I was watching an interview that he was doing like a video and he was saying that you could he could sell a painting for about five dollars and then this you know 60s 70s that lasted him a while like a week wow you know and so he could sell like maybe three or four paintings be like 20 bucks that would pay for their hotel room, their food, and they would just kind of... So who was buying these pictures, these paintings? The I homeowners? I don't know. He, he would go to art shows or, like, huh. like festivals, like cra- arts and crafts festivals and stuff and would sell his paintings oh. at, like, art fairs and stuff. That's really cool. I wonder if any of them are still out there in circulation. I couldn't like, find anything. I was uh, trying to find it, and I couldn't find I anything. I want one now. I know. Maybe <laughs> maybe we can go on, like, the black market or something and find if you. If anyone it. has an original Ed Warren haunted house painting. And they're spooky looking. I, it's I, us. I should uh, add a picture. On the, the video that they were doing, um, they had, a, like, a... They had one of their paintings, like, leaned up against a table yeah. in their interview. And it was, like, spooky. You know, they had, like, the the, bran- the twisted branches of a tree and, like, an orange and yellow, like, sunset background with, like, the haunted house in the foreground. Oh, the whole vibe. It, it, it was a vibe for sure. Oh, man. And I just love that, like, this young couple in the 70s is just painting pictures of haunted houses. Like, I just... <laughs> I wish I could do that now. So... Time went on. They started officially officially investigating strange paranormal occurrences, right. and then they started lecturing on these events because, like, in the 60s and 70s, like, people were starting to get into the occult a little more. They were reading right. reading about things and probably manifesting and some things. Spiritualism started in the, what, early 1900s? Yeah, and it, it goes back and forth, and it, like... It'll go yeah. to, like, really spiritual to really, like, religious, and then back to really spiritual, and then back to really religious. So it it swings back and forth. Mm-hmm. So around this time, people were interested in the occult again and reading spell books and doing spells and summoning demons and playing with Ouija don't boards and a lot of st- a lot of things. Look, look, do the spells. Do the, don't, Please don't bring any more demons into this world. No, we, we don't, don't need we it. We don't need any more. Um, so they would go around and then they would lecture on around the country about their experiences. Yeah. Like they had slides and they'd be like, don't mess with demons. <laughs> yeah, like they're lecturing as in telling safe practices. Yeah, and just like don't don't mess with this shit. You know, like don't, don't be reading these books because then you're going to bring a ghost into your house. You're going to get haunted and then someone's going to have to fix it for you. Yeah, <laughs> and that's probably going to be me. So please stop. Yeah, yeah. So, but they were very self-trained. Um, yeah. They never got any official training. You know, they just kept going on. So in about 30-ish years, they conducted over, investigated over 3,000 supernatural events in 10 years. Wow. So they were all that's over the place. That's a year. Yeah, that's almost every day. Oh, my God. Yeah. And a lot of times, like, they would be lecturing, and then, like, the same day, they would go check out a paranormal activity of some kind again they would go around the country giving lectures on the dangers of dabbling in the occult 
unprofessional seances could summon evil spirits and demons. Mm-hmm. That was another thing. Seances were getting really big again yeah. and are bringing shit in. You don't know what you're actually talking to if you do stuff like that. Right. Especially if you're not trained. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ed eventually became one of seven official demonologists in the U.S. The six others were all members of the clergy. How did he become a seventh official one? I try to find it, but again, there's not, he didn't go to school for it, but he was like, I know a lot about demons. And I guess the Catholic church was like, cool. And like Catholic school, he was very interconnected with the Catholic church. Like he had like priests on speed dial, like, Hey, you need to come bless this house. Hey, you need to come do this exorcism. Like he was friends with a lot of priests. Yeah. They're like, Hey, cause I mean, they, that's what they did. They worked with spiritual things and they would need the Catholic church to come in and fix the shit. Um, and then Lorraine continued to hone her clairvoyance skills and could act as, a, like I said, a light trance medium. Right. So not like full seances. But if she like meditated a little bit, she could connect with a spirit and she could right. sense the energy in a house. That was right. kind of how, so kind of structure was they would do is mm-hmm. that Ed, like Lorraine would not talk to the family at all. As soon as they got to a house um, or a home of whatever the haunted Building. place is, yeah. Yes. Ed would take the entire family into a separate room and interview them while Lorraine walked the house. And she would try to get an unbiased view of whatever presences were in the Mm -hmm. house while Ed conducted interviews. And then they would come back together and be like, okay, this is what I felt. This is what I learned. And then they would like bring in the family and then they would try to do the things. Okay. So that was kind of like what they did, how they conducted their investigation. And then they would figure out, okay, like, can we handle this? Do we need to get the church in? Do you need to move? You know? (laughs) GTFO. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really all I could find. Like, again, I'm going to start talking about their cases now. Mm -hmm. um, Some of their big ones. So the ones that are a little bit more detailed were in the book, the demonologist Mm -hmm. book that I read. The ones that are a little bit less detailed were just stories I found on the, like, just trying to find more detail about these stories on the web. The web. The web. I'm a child of the 90s, if How you can't tell. old are we? 30. You youngins don't even know. I've been searching the World Wide Web I know. for 20 years. Lord. 25, damn. I know. And I'm going to go in chronological order. Okay. So, first one, Annabelle. No. <laughs> that doll. No. Mm-hmm. So in 1968, <laughs> Emily's already I'm freaking vibrating. out. Oh my God. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Starting off with a big one. No, I know. So in 1968, Ed received a call from a reverend about a group of young people um, who had experienced an unfriendly spirit in their home. Apparently, had attacked a friend of one of the roommates. So mm-hmm. we're going to cut to Deidre Bernard and Laura Clifton. They were two young nurses, they were roommates. Uh, Deidre had been given a Raggedy Ann doll by her mother for her birthday the year prior. Soon after, Deidre and Lara began to notice some strange occurrences happening, mm-hmm. in the, mostly with the doll. The doll started moving when no one else was home. Don't like that. So it f- started with poses and positions. Then it started moving rooms. So it would start by, you know, say the legs are crossed, yeah. uncrossed its yes. legs. It would move an arm off a seat it was sitting in or whatever. Yeah. But then it started, what, straight up walking into a different room? Yeah. Don't or just want, being in a different room. Or just 
Well, obviously, I don't think they ever saw it move. One time they caught it kneeling, and they were not able to put the doll back in that pose. And they, they it freaked him out. <laughs> I know. I'm already starting to get, like, weird body feelings. <laughs> My chest feels weird. I don't yeah. like that. Then the doll started leaving notes. And on the notes, it would say, help us or help Cal. And Cal was Laura's fiance. And it was on parchment paper. And they were saying, like, we don't have parchment paper in our house. We don't know how this doll is writing notes to us on parchment paper. Who taught the doll how to write? I don't know. How to, have you seen a, it's just a, a fist well, on a raggedy and doll. Obviously, it doesn't have, like, bones. So how is it walking? So one day, they saw blood on the doll. And they're like, okay, <laughs> we need to get someone in here. So they Did contacted. Did the doll murder someone? No, but they don't know where the blood came from. So they contacted a medium. Uh, the medium said there is a spirit on the premises named Annabelle who had died when she was seven years old. She felt neglected by the other people. And I guess it was an apartment building. Um, and she wanted to feel loved. So the young women felt they're nurses, you know, and they felt compassionate for Annabelle. So they let her move into the doll. And when Ed was interviewing them, he was like, what? You did what? You let her what? So. No. Yeah. That wasn't a little girl. <laughs> yeah. There's blood on the doll. Uh-huh. So the paranormal activity continued. Of course it did. To Deidre and Laura, it was still pretty innocuous. But then Cal, who's Laura's fiance, started having a lot of weird things happen. Well, somebody needed to help him, obviously. Yeah. Uh, he started having recurring nightmares. Oh, no. Whenever he stayed at the house. And then one night he had a dream that was different. So this is a quote from the demonologist book. Again, I don't okay. know if this was an actual quote, but it's from the book. Quote, the last time it happened, I fell asleep at home, a really deep sleep. While I was lying there, I saw myself wake up. Something seemed wrong to me. I looked around the room, but nothing was out of place. But then when I looked down toward my feet, I saw the rag doll, Annabelle. It was slowly gliding up my body. It moved over my chest and stopped. Then it put its two arms out. One arm touched one side of my neck. The other touched the other side, like it was making an electrical connection. Then I saw myself being strangled. I was writhing and trying to push the doll off my chest, but I might as well have been pushing on a wall because it wouldn't move. I was literally strangling to death, but I couldn't help myself, no matter how hard I tried. End quote. Y'all, Emily is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was getting choked out by a doll. A raggedy andal. Andal. Do y'all know how big those things are? Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. They're not small. So afterwards, there was, an ev- there was an event that changed everything. Cal and Laura were at home. Um, Cal was about to go on a trip, and they were preparing for that. Suddenly, they heard a noise come from Deidre's bedroom. It sounded like someone was trying to break in. So Cal slowly crept up to the door to the bedroom. He creaked open the door and saw the raggedy and doll crumpled in a corner like it had been tossed. He slowly walked up to it but didn't notice anything. Cal then felt a sensation like someone was behind him. He turned around to face the presence, but no one was there. Suddenly, Cal doubled over in pain, and blood immediately started soaking his shirt. Lara came in to help, and Cal had seven slashes on his chest. Two days later, they were completely healed. What? Ed was like, y'all, you've led a demon in here. Like a for real demon. 
This demon tricked you. For real, for real. Yeah, for real demon. This demon tricked you into thinking it was a little girl and you invited it in with open arms. Because Cal doesn't believe in this stuff, it started showing aggression to him. Y'all need this place blessed and exercised. ASAP. <laughs> Get the doll out of the house. Yeah. Okay, bye. Yeah. So a priest came in, blessed the house. Lorraine said the presence was gone. DJ wanted the doll gone. She was like, get out of their house. So the Warrens were like, okay, we'll take the doll with us. According to the Warrens, the presence started attacking them in the car. The brakes would stall and the steering column malfunctioned on their way home. So they took the doll back to their house uh, where it continued its demonic shenanigans. Um, apparently it would levitate. Lorraine could hear growls. A priest got in a severe car accident after mocking the doll. Don't mock the doll. No. <laughs> Don't mock the demon doll. And that's the that's the end of the story of Annabelle. <laughs> Annabelle was on display in their museum, um, which I'll get to at the end of the episode. Was she the one that's behind glass? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it says, don't touch the glass. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the next one that we're going to talk about is another very famous one. This is the story about the Perron. Per, I think it's either Perron or Perron. Mm-hmm. Perron. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to say Perron because that, that sounds sure. right to me. In 1971. So in 1971, the Perrones moved into the old Arnold estate in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The Perron family was comprised of Roger and Carolyn Perron and their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. Almost immediately after the family moved in, the girls started experiencing paranormal activity. Initially, it was really nice. The girls made friends with two spirits, Mrs. Arnold the believed deceased matriarch of the property, she would tuck them into bed at night and kiss their foreheads. Okay. You know what? That's she fine. She seems... Listen, I'm good with that. Yeah. Be nice. That's fine. And there's also um, who they believed to be Johnny Arnold. He was a younger boy who had apparently hung himself in the barn on the property. Aww. But he would play with them. Like, he would, like, play with toys and stuff. And he was also a pretty bene- benevolent spirit. Yeah. I'm like... Vibrator. <laughs> Just reading it. I typed all this stuff out. <laughs> Um, and then there was also apparently a sweeping ghost. Like, they could hear sweeping th- during the day, and yeah. then they would go see the broom, and there'd be, like, a pile of dust, like, next to the broom. Can I get one of them? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I need a vacuuming ghost. I need a dusting ghost. Dishes ghost. Laundry <laughs> ghost. Um, so, eventually, the activity became more malicious. One source said that there was some kind of male presence that was extremely sinister. And Andrea Perron, who's the oldest daughter, refuses to talk about it to this day. She will not talk about it. So we don't really know what happened. So there's another presence who's a woman named Bathsheba, who was accused of being a witch when she was alive in the 1800s and lived on the property. So the family began smelling rotten flesh. The girl's hair would get pulled and toys would be thrown around or disappear. But apparently there is... The really malicious thing, though, was that apparently Bathsheba was attracted to Roger, the dad. He would, like, feel, like, caresses. Ew. And Carolyn, his wife, was basically tortured. It got to the point where she was worried she would get possessed. Uh, So they called the Warrens. But the Perones were not religious. So the Warrens were like, Mm -hmm. you can't have an exorcism because you're not religious. We can't call on God to protect you. Because you don't believe in God. The Warrens held a seance and they left. And the Perones said that the paranormal activity got worse. Oh, no. And then they moved out of the house. So they eventually left the house. And this case would be the basis of the Conjuring movie. Wow. Yeah. 
that's the conjuring i think the movie mainly mainly focuses on bathsheba yeah the witch all right so that's that case now we have 1972 this this one is not very scary so this is a little bit of um uh, a palate cleanser <laughs> in the middle of all of the spooky ones. It's still a ghost, but it's not scary. Okay. Um, so this was at West Point. Okay. The Military Academy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Ed and Lorraine were actually g- giving a lecture at West Point, and they got a call saying that one of the generals who lived at West Point, he, like, had a mansion there. It was haunted. Yeah. <laughs> so they had a, a basement room that had a bunk in it, and it was always locked. I guess it was like maybe storage, but always had okay. a bunk in there. But the bed would always get disheveled, you know, no one had been down there. And then whenever they had visitors over, like dignitaries and other yeah. generals and all that stuff, everyone's wallets would get stolen. And all the wallets would be put in a drawer, nice and neat. That's weird. It's very weird. So they're like, can you please come help us? The generals, like, the generals guests cannot be missing their wallets. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be happening. It's unacceptable. Um, so they they came in. They did some investigating. Um, Lorraine was able to connect with a spirit in the home. She said that the man, um, he was a black man named Greer. Apparently, he was accused of murder, but later acquitted by the army. Okay. Um, apparently, he still felt really guilty about the whole thing, and he was taking the wallets to like feel acknowledged and because he felt guilty and he was actually one he like the the bed looked like someone had gotten out of it and he was actually held in the basement while he was like i guess on trial for the murder he was held in the basement so i guess his spirit was still not at rest yeah it was still there they told like the officials and they're like well that's strange because no like there have been no soldiers at west point until like the 80s or something or no i guess it was like maybe the 60s or something because this was in the um the 70s but they're like no there haven't been any black soldiers here but they found out that um, there was a black man named greer who was a porter at west point and he was accused of murder but he was later acquitted so it all added up except for the soldier part right he was a porter, but living on oh. campus at West Point. Got so, it. yeah. Like, for some reason, his spirit continued to linger, but they're like, hey, we found evidence. Like, you were acquitted. You don't have to feel guilty anymore. You can move on. And he did. Oh, good. So, he finally left. The mansion was no longer haunted, but then West Point was like, hey, we have, like, another ghost and won't leave a dorm. Can you come get that? <laughs> okay. I'm sure there's a lot. So that was a nice little yeah. little palate cleanser. This one's this next one's pretty scary. Uh, I also couldn't find any corroborating uh, evidence about this case. Okay, this was just in the demonologist book. This is the Beckford family in 1974. It all started when a year prior, a then 18 year old Vicky Bedford tried to find a friend using a Ouija board. Don't do that. No, don't do it. Don't. It's not your friend. No. So she made contact with the spirit who began showering her with praises, apparently. Love bombing from Um, the beginning. She eventually began to believe this was the spirit of a teenage boy who had died a while ago. She eventually began to view the spirit as her boyfriend. Ew. Because she's a teenage girl. Don't do that. So in March of 1974, Vicky pleaded with the spirit to manifest. And then shit went down. 
It started with the family's cars, fuses, and plugs being dismantled. They started getting flat tires. And then the house started getting affected. They would hear pounding. Shrubs were being yanked out. The doorbells were being destroyed. Just pulling Um, whole bushes out? Yeah. Oh, my God. Three weeks later, after the start of the family, started hearing more sounds inside the house. A hole was punched into the sun's wall one night. And then another night, they could hear floorboards being dismantled. Even though when they would go to check, nothing was wrong, but they could hear. It sounded like there was a lot of destruction going on. Vicky kept getting flat tires. Like, Mr. Bedford, Beckford, he, when the warrants eventually came, he was like, I literally can't afford to keep replacing my daughter's tires because they go flat, like, once a week. Oh, my and God. And it looked like they'd been slashed with knives. It wasn't just, like, a nail or anything. They were literally being slashed. So they had to completely replace the tires. It was, it was really crazy. So one night, there were three incredible booms that rattled the entire house. And it sounded like someone was ripping off the siding of the house. And the caps of the their radiator wouldn't stay on. They kept getting screwed off. So the Beckfords eventually called an electrician and a plumber. Like, something's going on in this house. They had yeah. no idea that Vicky had been commuting with a Ouija board. They were just like, random shit is happening. They oh thought their house is being vandalized by, like, pranksters. And in the booming, they're like, maybe it's something electrical. We don't know. And then with the radiator caps, they're like, maybe something's wrong with our plumbing. And literally, like, the electrician and the plumber came in. They would, like, do the things. They'd be like, nothing's wrong. And then they would, like, sort of experience the activity. And they'd be like, you got another problem here. It is not. Everything is in working order. Like, literally, the the plumber, he, like, checked the radiator. He checked everything. He put the screws back on really, really tight. And he, like, looked away, and then he came back, and the screws were off. And he was like, this is not your radiator. It's something else. You need help. Oh, my <laughs> But something God. that's not me. So one night, the family was watching TV in the master bedroom. The family was all together when suddenly the 250-pound dresser began levitating and twisting. Drawers opened and shut violently. A chair was tossed onto the floor. Picture frames began circling the room, and the bed collapsed. There were pervasive scritching noises in the walls, and they began tearing, sound like they were tearing into the supports. And then they tried to go to sleep after this. Ha! So they were trying to go to sleep. Mr. Beckford heard a kitten meowing in an adjacent room, which then turned into a baby crying. So it sounded like something was trying to lure them oh, into another room. my God. Then incredible pounding noises started coming from the roof, and they were climbing upwards up into the roof, closer and closer to the Beckford's bed. And then they stopped and started pounding on their headboard. Just boom, boom, boom on their headboard. And they ran out of bed. I've literally got, like, chills all over, like, my... Oh, my God, like, I'm, like, <laughs> nauseous again. <laughs> <laughs> so they ran out of bed. They could hear furniture being knocked over in the living room. Vicky screamed. And she said there was a presence in her room. Uh, and then the next day, it began raining rocks on their property, like stones, raining. And they said they called police. And the police were like, <laughs> you need a priest in here. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Beckfords were called to, told to call a priest um, who said the destruction of the house was caused by a disturbed person. So they called in a priest and it's like, this is not a spirit. It's you have a mentally ill person in your family that's doing this. And they're like, it's raining rocks. And our 250 pound dresser levitated. <laughs> so... Ah, 
So the week went on, and every day and night, the Beckfords were plagued with floating furniture and pounding noises and shrieks. Shrieks started happening. They would come home to all their furniture being upended. Blasphemous writing started appearing on their walls. They said it was red ink. I don't know if it, it looked like it was supposed to be written in blood. Ew. But I don't know if it was actually blood or not. Yeah. They tried to stay at a motel, and the things happened to them at the hotel. <gasps> And then they got kicked out of the hotel after, like, two nights because, like, there was pounding and, like, other people were complaining. Like, they kept us up all night because the kids kept pounding the walls. And, like, wasn't us. And then the family started turning on each other. I mean, they're in the super high-stress environment. They're all turning on each other. And then the entity became physically manifesting. And the Beckfords constantly felt as if they were being watched. Sharon Beckford, who's the mom, started seeing a shadow man out of the corner of her eye. And the week before Easter apparently was the worst because it's a very religious week. And so stones would pelt their house every single day. And any kind of religious imagery they had in their house was destroyed or hidden. So... Uh... Eventually, the Warrens became involved. Uh, they brought one of their friends who was a priest. They confirmed there were multiple demonic entities in the home. And it would take time for an exorcism to take place because the exorcist movie just came out. And the Catholic Church was under a lot of scrutiny. So they had to be very official. They had to have a lot of documentation in place yes. before they would move forward with an exorcism. So the priest had to like live at the house. And apparently, like after a week, he was haggard because he was being directly targeted by the because he's, he's a, a religious priest. figure oh right. no um, so and then like they even had family members come in and they're like yeah your house is haunted <laughs> like we're seeing it like it's not stopping yeah the only time it had stopped is when the first priest came wow. and then after that like anyone could come in the house and they would experience the activity that's bizarre yeah i guess because like back then it wasn't a severe it wasn't quite as bad and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. At one point, Eric, whose son was thrown across a room and apparently he wasn't injured, but he was super bruised from it. The mental capacities of the entire family was completely depleted, especially Pete Beckford, who's a father. He started developing health issues. He literally started getting an ulcer and then his ulcer medication was flushed every single day by the entities and he's like i literally can't afford any more medicine so i just have to live with this ulcer oh no so finally it took some time because ed and lorraine were very busy they were doing lectures he couldn't just and they had other investigations that they had already promised so they're like okay priest our friend priest friend you're going to stay here we're going to do our things we're going to come back so they finally come back and they're ready they're finally ready to face the entities ed went to the empty house first and he was soon attacked and on his left arm are two slashes in the shape of a cross. And a few days later, a, a priest is finally able to come do an, an actual exorcism. And that was it. Everything was cleared out. The Beckford life returned to normal after that. Like, that's literally the end. <laughs> they were able to get an exorcism, and it went away. Like, I... literally, there was no activity during the exorcism at all. Like, no, nothing increased. It was completely silent and calm. The priest came in. He did the ex- like the exorcism. He left. Nothing else happened after that. I don't care if I've had five exorcisms and the house is deemed cleared. I am getting the fuck out of that house. Yeah. You could not pay me to live there anymore. No. On the market. Next buyer's problem. Yeah. (laughs) So the next, this one's going to be pretty short. 
um, because the case is really short, but everyone knows about this case. Okay. Amityville. Of course. 1975. Yes. So, November 13th, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed his entire family in their sleep, including his Mm. parents and four younger siblings. Mm. Thirteen months later, the Lutz family bought the house for a bargain. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, George Lutz, who's the father, or the stepfather, I think, he began waking up at 3.15 every morning, which is about the time the murders occurred. And then the family started experiencing slime, hordes of, like, swarms of flies, voices, levitation, freaky ghost animals. They moved out after less than a month. They were like, bye. (laughs) So... And this case has a lot of criticism. Yeah. Like the lawyer, the family lawyer came out and said that he and Mr. and Mrs. Lutz came up with the story over wine. But the youngest, I think I think it was one of the younger um, children of the Lutz family said that he is forever traumatized by what happened in the house. So I don't know. Yeah. And they did, um, I think it was like they sold the rights for the movie to be made or something. Mm-hmm. So, like I said earlier, they did make money off of that. Right. And should be taken with, with a, a grain, grain of salt. salt. I think it's another one of those cases where the kid probably, he, he might have s- experienced something. Yeah. And then the parents just expounded on it. Yeah. And made money off of it. Yeah. That could be it as well. Yeah. All right. So this is going to be the last the last case I'm going to talk about. Um, but there were several others. They kept investigating up until what I could find, like, the 90s. Oh, my God. So this last case is the Foster family in 1978, which was the case that we covered in our skit at the beginning of this episode. Okay. The Warrens, they visited the U.K. a lot. They did mm-hmm. a lot of lectures there. They did a lot of investigations over there. So while they were there one day, um, they got a call from the Foster family. They were in a panic saying something was going on in their home. It was affecting their children. One of their daughters was very interested in the occult. And her parents were like, well, we bought her a book about summoning demons. Why That's would you fine. do that? That's Bad fine. parenting. Bad parenting. Yeah. So apparently shortly before the Warrens came to visit, the children were home alone. They experienced a phenomena that we talked about in the episode. Mm-hmm. You know, the radio, the water faucets. Yeah. The stomping. The stomping. All of that. So while Ed was doing the interview, Lorraine did a sweep of the house. They did confirm there is a spirit in Meg's room, who's the teenage daughter. Okay. So the foster, they were like, okay, you guys need to leave. We'll handle everything. They blessed, like, all the areas of the house. They always had, like, holy water with them. And everything was fine up until they tried to go upstairs into Meg's room. They were physically blocked. Like, they literally could not get up the stairs. And they were afraid that they would be pushed back down, so they're being very careful. And so what Ed had to do is that he was, like, literally, like, flicking drops of holy water, and they would, like, slowly able to go up the stairs. But, yeah, they cleansed the house, and they were able to neutralize a demonic entity. Ed threw all of Meg's, like, occult stuff in the trash. And they were like, she was like, get get rid of it. Bye. Get rid of it. Um, Be gone. And then they were like, also, you need to get this house blessed by official clergy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, my God. So, yeah. And that's the case of the Foster family. They ran all the way to town? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how far it was. I didn't see that. They, I mean, they, those two kids were running for their lives. But as, they knew, like, as soon as we got to around where other people were, whatever was chasing them would not hurt them. Because right. it does it, you know, it's just, this shit always happens in secret. It's never when, right. like, there's other people around, usually. 
it's within the confines yeah. of a home or a property. So, like I said, from what I could find, the Warrens continued their investigations up until the 90s, maybe even later. Ed Warren lost his ability to speak in 2001. Oh. And then in 2006, he had a stroke, and he eventually passed away at the age of 76. Oh. And I also, I just, I couldn't find anything about their personal lives outside of their work. But okay. again, they were always working. Almost, uh, like, every day of the year, they were on the job. Yeah. Like, 65 days off a year, like, including weekends, is generous, because they were always busy. And was it Lucy that was their daughter? Judy. Judy. That poor girl was getting toted around the whole country. Yeah, up until, probably until she was, like, old enough. But she's still involved, like, in the business. So, um, the Warrens had a museum at the back of their house called the Warren Occult Museum. And I think Judy helped run that as well. But it was closed eventually due to zoning reasons. Mm -hmm. It was in the residence. Street parking wasn't good. They also founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, which Judy and her husband currently still run. Um, So they're still involved. I saw this quote from Lorraine. It said, I've never met an atheist in a haunted house. (laughs) Lorraine, yeah. Lorraine Warren passed away in her sleep at her home in 2019 at the age of 92. Wow. And by all accounts, she died of natural. So she lived a very long life. Um, She lived almost 20 years after Ed passed away. This says Judy Warren is 77 now. Wow. Yeah. Um, So here are all the movies I could find based on their investigations. Okay. So we have The Conjuring, which is the Perone family, which I talked about. The Conjuring 2, which is based off the Enfield Poltergeist, and that was also in the UK. Mm -hmm. The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, that was the case of Arnie Johnson. Um, He said that he was possessed. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Haunting in Connecticut, which is based off the Snedeker family. Okay. The Amityville Horror, which is the Lutz family. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Haunted, which is the Smurl family. And that's all I could find. So, but those are... a lot of movies. Yeah. And that's not even all of their cases. Like, there are more cases. Like, they have, like, a top ten of, like, the most famous cases, which I still didn't cover all of them. Um, Most of the cases I covered were in the book that I read. Um, Like I said, their work has largely been debunked as hoaxes in almost every case. Concrete evidence has never been provided to prove the paranormal experiences. Um, But (laughs) how much concrete evidence are you going to have for these things? And some of the things, like there's pictures and stuff, but then people are like, these pictures were faked and this is how they faked them. You know, stuff like that. They didn't have video cameras as readily available back then. And even then, like, the book that I got most of my my evidence from and my research from, when I got to the very end of this book, it said it was published as a work of fiction, and I almost threw my computer. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I don't know why, because it's the only biography I could find of the Warrens. Um, and Emily and I were talking before the episode started that maybe it was due to creative liberties being taken with the books and the general events that mm-hmm. happened you know, like the general events happen, but they may have embellished a little bit to make it more interesting to yeah. read. Um, there's a lot of dialogue in the books that I'm sure weren't directly quoted. Right. I do want that disclaimer to be out. That book is in the title page, I guess. Yeah. Which I didn't re- see until the end of the book. I read this and it's like 800 pages online. The pages are like 
It's not like the pages are like, I'll show you what oh, a page smaller. looks like. Yeah, they're really small. Oh. Yeah, they're really small, like full of words. It may be like 20 sentences per page, but it's still like 850 pages. Oh, my God. But yeah, I got to the very end, and then it says, um, this is a work of fiction. I was just like, ah! Fuck everything. All that time I spent reading this book. <laughs> so take their work with a grain of salt. But no one can deny that their investigations have had a lasting effect yes. on American supernatural beliefs and pop culture. <laughs> yes. And what I always like to, to say, and to, this is my kind of philosophy, it doesn't matter if 99% of these cases are a farce. Mm-hmm. If one of them is paranormal, mm-hmm. then the paranormal is a thing. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean... Well, All it takes is one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Listen, we're living in a world where it's been confirmed that it, aliens are a thing. <laughs> yeah. So weirder has happened. That's true. That is true. Um, so, yeah. Um, that is the story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, if you're interested, you can definitely find a lot of more information about the different cases. Mm-hmm. Again, like to cover every single case that they did. There are um, podcasts existing podcasts that do cover the story of Ed and Lorraine wow. Warren and their research. So I think there's one called the Warren Files or something. Okay. And it goes into their different cases. Cool. You can find a lot of like YouTube videos about them. There's so many. A lot of videos like talking about the movies that have come out and like what actually happened with the mm-hmm. families um, that experienced those cases. So there's definitely a lot of content to be found out in the world that I'm not going to cover today because I wanted, I like to try to keep things as streamlined as yes. I can. <laughs> it's very easy to go and do these rabbit holes. To squirrel off into some yes. thing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also click, I'm, I'll am i have all my all my sources in the, the show notes. You can click on them. Um, some of them are like, which are the movies that were covered, but some, like, go into a little bit more detail. Like, you can find the top ten lists. Right. All that. So that is all I have for today, our first episode of Spooky Season. Spooky! So, yeah. Emily, you were real freaked out there. I wish y'all could have seen my face because I was not doing okay there for a second. It was basically like she was watching a scary movie in front of my eyes. (laughs) Like she was like, she was covering her face (laughs) with her hands and she was staring at me and she was like shaking her head sometimes. (laughs) She's like, no, 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 no. Now you know what I look like if I watch a scary, I, you know, for all the paranormal ghosty things that I like, I cannot watch a scary movie can't either i cannot watch a scary movie i cannot watch movies where people die so poor nick says it's like trying to watch pick a movie with a toddler because (laughs) i have to like i need it to be funny yeah or i will not sleep for a week i'm the same like i like i've I told y'all at the beginning, like, I have a hard time playing yeah. games with, like, slightly scary events. Like, if skeletons pop out of sand, it's too overwhelming for me. My hands get too sweaty to hold a game controller. There, <laughs> there was one video game that I played when I was in high school, and I think it was, like, Call of Duty, but it was when the soldiers, like, the, I think the Nazis turned into the zombies. Oh, yeah. My brother was so mean he handed me the controller in a dark room with a 
big flat screen TV and said, just kill the zombies. <laughs> One, I'm not good at video games. Yeah. So I knew how to shoot it and how to move. Not well either. Yeah. Um, so it's a very jerky movement. So right. What I'm seeing is zombies coming out of the woods, jerky movements because I can't function. Yeah. So do you know what my um, solution to this was instead of putting the controller down was just <laughs> just button mashing? No, I I hit the the little controller to I think the left or the right to where my little person was spinning in a yeah. circle. I hit and I was just just boom 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 and I was crying. That I is mean so funny. tears coming down. I'm gonna die. <laughs> it was he thought it was great. So uh thanks. So it's not just me. <laughs> no, it's not just you. Absolutely not. Um I'm a weenie. Me too but I'm interested in all this. So I'm like, a, I'm the glutton for punishment, really, because I'm like, I want to hear all of this stuff. And then I go to bed and I'm like, because my window at my house is like six feet tall by like 10 feet wide. It's huge. And why do I have to sleep closest to the window? I don't <laughs> understand. I feel like someone's just staring at me through my window Ooh, all night. Hate it. I know. I hate it. And we're in the basement. I have to sleep in the basement tonight. I'm going to be all spooked out. I was already spooked out. I know. Which I've never, I've never had bad feelings in this basement, which I don't think I'm really perceptive to things anyway. I'm just, I'm closed off. I'm a wall. But I scare myself and I'm afraid I'm going to manifest something. So I try to shut it down. So last night I fell asleep listening to piano music. Nice. I was like this, and I fell asleep immediately. Every time I get scared, I'm just like I nudge the husband until he relents and lets me scooch closer to him. Yeah, he'll <laughs> save me. Help me! <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> so, I think I know what I'm gonna do for our next spooky episode and this one you might get a story with so i'd love to hear your story i think i know your story you probably do i'm sure i've tortured you with it enough but you're gonna hear it again yay yay at least i'll know what's coming yeah because it is kind of scary yes it is so thanks for listening thanks for checking out our first spooky episode with emily and the count (laughs) 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 on next week's episode we're gonna have big bird
Facebook. God, I cannot. My word fine is completely gone. She gone. Um, Group. Yes. Yes. Here's my eyes. Our Instagram is at ill-equipped history. You can email us at ill-equipped history at gmail.com. Um, we may be expand if we haven't already because it's going to air before. No, after. <laughs> time machine time. Uh, this is going to air a while after we've recorded this so if we haven't already we will probably have some new social media events coming up yeah. we're, we're working on that because we're old and we don't know this gen newfangled gen z technology <laughs> if, if there's anyone that's like you know good with technology come come help us yeah i can't believe we've come this far with our podcast i'm calling my sister-in-law i need help <laughs> She'll know. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, I think that's it. I think we've said everything. So, okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>